0: This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content.
1: And welcome to the fourth edition of Chapel Probation After Hours, a quick 30-minute conversation with experts and friends reacting and responding to the stories on Chapel Probation, uh, where they share their insights into their work and life. Today, we have Mandy Capehart, who I met at, surprise, the Portland Meetup. We talked about her work while there with people dealing with grief in various ways. And when I told her about my wife's father passing away just seven months before, she immediately gave me a copy of her book, Restorative Grief, and told me about her podcast of the same name. She's an amazing person who has been... Moved by the stories on chapel probation, and she's here to share her thoughts.
0: My name is Mandy Capehart. I am an author, a speaker, a writer, a friend, and uh, most often a grief professional and educator.
1: Yeah, and that's why I wanted to have you on. Well, actually for all those. Um, (laughs) Basically, I I used the Portland Meetup to, to basically just grab as many people as I could to come on (laughs) the podcast and that's mostly because everyone I met was just amazing and so you were included in that and it was such an amazing thing post pandemic to, to gather with all those people and um meet for the first time in person yeah so it was awesome to connect with you and connect with so many people
0: yeah, I agree. Thank you for saying that. I think it was really bizarre to get into the real world again and feel like, oh, okay, my social skills are rusty. I, yeah. I'm i supposed to talk to people and make connections and I'm not sure how to do that. And I think it was really warm and inviting that everyone was feeling that way to some degree. And so we got to just be awkward together yeah. And, yeah. and figure out, oh yeah, the how the do we human again? yeah exactly um i need to turn my camera off i guess i'll just put my hands in front of my face for a minute and then (laughs) pretend i'm not here yeah yeah yeah
1: Yeah, i didn't think you were awkward at all it it was it was awesome um oh
0: that's good so i'll try harder next time go ahead yeah
1: yeah no yeah awkward is a is a skill that we all have to build on so (laughs) um um so maybe just describe what you do with uh your your approach to grief counseling and, and helping people through
0: yeah yeah so i started working professionally as a grief support uh, a couple of years ago my mom had died in 2016 and she was the most impactful loss in in a loss uh in a lifetime of losses where i've genuinely cannot count the number of people i've loved that have died or have moved on or we've um, just other different types of loss that i've experienced and so in uh, 2016 until 2020, I was pretty traumatized and working through a lot of my own stuff, including a pretty toxic work environment as well, and trying to understand how to maintain my faith knowing full well I was writhing in pain over the loss of my mom, over the lack of my faith's ability to make sense in, in the aftermath of her death and how it happened. And I was really struggling. I was speaking publicly about it quite a bit, um, both from a stage and just in relationship. And then I ended up in 2020 being laid off and sitting in my living room thinking, I see all of this grief that's happening in the world, and I don't want to live in a world that is completely grief literate, illiterate, knowing, knowing this pandemic is not going away anytime soon, right? So we had the two-week shutdown and I just had this gut that said, this is not going to change anything for the positive unless we act and do something. So I wrote a book about my experience within the church and um as like, you know, capital C church and its lack of comprehension about grief and how to support people for more than two weeks with casseroles and prayer you know yeah so it, it became this really interesting transition for me as i was recognizing for years i'd been processing my own i guess deconstruction and understanding of how faith actually tangibly fits into my life but also how do i equip this group of people who i care about to not cause harm to people that they care about because there's already enough trauma and grief in our lives. And we're so obsessed with creating a program or um, making sure that we celebrate life and we're feeling joyful and we're overcoming evil and all of these things that just felt so completely meaningless when I couldn't experience anything but numb in my thoughts and my heart, my body, my spirit, my connections to everyone. So it really transformed, um, from the book into a practical coaching, uh, relationship with people because i wanted them to experience the same thing to say like i'm not your guru but i can give you some insight on how to take action on behalf of your own grief without needing to rely on everyone around you to tell you the right way to do it because frankly if you are aware that you're grieving then you're doing it correctly so that's uh, a nutshell yeah that's great because
1: and i think i took some of that from you when I in talking to you and some of the, the things in your book about, I think the tendency is to want to just fix everything and offer solutions when someone's hurting. So in on chapel probation, when someone tells me like a really hard story or that or that they're struggling with the aftermath of either going to one of these schools or mm. loss of faith, my, my tendency is to like want to jump in and help them through it or, and Mm. get them to the other side, you know, Mm -hmm. pull or push. Um, and I I think I've, I've been trying to just let people sit with their grief and process and talk about it and, um, acknowledge that it's, it's a part of their life. Um, and certainly there's healing eventually, but, um, I I don't know when you, when you have something traumatic and you recognize something traumatic, because a lot of the guests on this pod- podcast started to realize how traumatized they were when they were asked to be on the sh- on the podcast. Um, they thought uh, they had just left all that behind and it sent some of the guests into sort of like a tailspin for a little bit yeah. as they sort of reopened up the traumas that they went through. Um, so I hope I, hopefully I haven't like sent people like into major <laughs> tailspins, but, um, well, but, um, yeah, yeah. I, I know you've listened to like maybe the Ella, Ella episode and, um, yes. Yeah. So from your, from your view, what, what have you heard and what thoughts have you had of, about the stories?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I listened to quite a few episodes, just thinking about the context of, of the setting that these, Beautiful souls are trying to grow up in. And for context for myself, I didn't really get involved in evangelical church until college. And I was at a very liberal school intentionally. And so it was really, yeah. I, actually, I tried to go to Reed College in Portland, but I just couldn't afford it. I'm like, oh. I tried to go to the That's most, the liberal, most
1: school. liberal school in America, right?
0: <laughs> in America. I tried, but I couldn't afford it. Yeah. And so I ended up at, at Southern Oregon University, which I loved it there. Um, mm. But it was interesting because that was where I actually became a catalytic campus leader for campus crusade for christ so that was my understanding as a young adult i was you know on campus and so my framework as i'm listening to these stories was wow i remember students just like this but i was never the person that got in someone's face i was always the person that was trying to hold space for someone trying to just say you can sit here and i won't give you answers." That is to say, I know very well that oftentimes I thought I had answers because I was really into C.S. Lewis and apologetics as well. And so yeah, me I too. was trying to make sense of all of it for myself more than anyone else, though. I like, And I think that that's where all those conversations stem from, is we're trying to understand. Mm-hmm. And so we just talk out loud and yeah. you know, accidentally wound people. But I think what was so interesting to me was the... Um, and, and I you kind of said it as you were saying these people were recognizing their own loss and pain as they were talking about their stories. I could hear it in the voice of what mm-hmm. they were saying and how they were sharing their story. There was this tenderness that they maybe hadn't recognized for themselves um, mm-hmm. as it was coming to the surface. And I appreciated hearing their recognition. Every one of them that I listened to recognized their own coping mechanisms and the way that they survived. And to be able to look back at that and see who you were and have compassion for that person is really, really powerful. Because a lot of times we look back on who we were or what we experienced and we criticize ourselves. We say, well, I could have done it differently, or I should have done it this way, or if only I had said this. And it's that sense of bargaining in grief where we think we could have prevented the outcome, or we could have avoided feeling Uh, so harmful, so harmed or so grievous in our lives. If only we'd had some some more information at the time. And while that might be true, it's impossible to go back and change what happened to us. And so giving ourselves this opportunity to look back with curiosity and compassion, but also to look back and say, I'm going to leave what happened in the past in the past so that i can be present right now not so i can run forward towards a future it's whole healthy blah 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 like healing is ongoing and that's an amazing thing to start pursuing but when you are just recognizing what kind of things you've experienced in your life and need to grow through Having an opportunity with someone like yourself that has space to hold for people, but also that has understanding of the context of what they went through is an incredible gift. So as much as you say, oh, I hope I wasn't stirring up trauma for people, you were creating an atmosphere where they had an opportunity to be safe, to explore those things. And I think that that level of psychological safety, when we create it for other people, is a gift that's unmatched.
1: Oh hadn't thought of it that way but thanks for thank you for saying that <laughs> <'Cause>,
0: you're welcome <laughs> uh, uh,
1: yeah because you know like there'll be times when i hear someone get emotional or, or i get emotional yeah and um you know, i'm not a professional with this kind of thing i just for a lot of the people i went through it with them and so we're right we're, we're getting emotional together and then mm-hmm. um for the people i didn't know who who went to other schools I just feel like this kinship, you know, that I understand a lot of what they went through. Um uh, mm-hmm. maybe not so much the Bob Jones episode. Nate's stories were pretty out there. But, but I don't know if you heard that one. That one's like a outlier. Um but yeah, it's it's just I think I've reached out to you and another person who's as therapy just to sort of check in like, man, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm out of my depths in in a lot of ways and um just curious like what what are other people hearing in in these stories
0: yeah Uh, Yeah, i think what's really i mean it's incredibly admirable that you're holding space for these stories and asking that question on their behalf as well how do i support them well Um, because in grief support we tend to minimize to avoid our own discomfort we will Either we'll relate and tell stories and say, see, I turned out okay, you're gonna be just fine to try and avoid feeling the discomfort that someone else has. Um, Or we have a tendency to decide that we can solve this problem quickly for them. And I think that that really is not what you're doing. I think what you are doing here is creating an opportunity for people to be honest, well, what I was going to say is basically what I think happens when you create this opportunity for people to open up, it's, it's a gift that you are recognizing that you have to offer because we don't want to go down the road of minimizing someone's pain so we can avoid the discomfort of what they're experiencing. We want to equip ourselves then instead to be capable of sitting in the discomfort with them. Not trying to minimize, not trying to offer platitudes or comfort, and certainly not scripturally or using scriptures to spiritually bypass people, which is a lot of what you hosted in these conversations was hearing people minimizing and spiritually bypassing themselves in order to survive that cognitive dissonance that they were experiencing. um particularly what I one episode that I found really, uh, challenging for myself was Lena's episode about missions overseas, because I have a very um, complicated understanding and relationship to missions. My There are missionaries in my family. Um, I was on one when I was with Campus Crusade, and it wasn't international. We were in Colorado, and it was glorious. But <laughs> I will never forget one of the... Um, experiences we had because we were working all day long. And then we would go out at night and of course, minister to the city, whatever that meant. And every time it meant evangelizing someone, like walking up to a stranger and talking about scripture, I refused. I would walk around, but I'm like, hey man, how's it going? Who are you? And get to know them, I would offer nothing. Um, I got called out for it because I was I'm not interested in being told what to do most of the time. And so I said, fine. And I walked up to someone and I spoke with them about Jesus and they ended up accepting the Lord with me and, and going through this fucking prayer. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, we,
1: we say fuck all the time on
0: this. Oh, good. Thank goodness. Cause I was like, Um, ah, because that was my exact reaction. (laughs) I was like going through this tract with them and then getting so depressed afterwards because For me, it's always relational. It's always about connection. Everything I'm doing has to move me closer in connection or further from people. Mm. And in that instance, I was then met with, I'm not the one that you're going to be able to build a relationship with because I leave. I'm 21 and I leave in a month. But here's some local churches no, I don't know anything about them. And someone told me I could trust them, but I know that that's probably not true for some ways. And and I, to this day, wonder, like, who is that woman? Where is she? Is she safe? Was she harmed? What did I yeah. do um, in her life? And and I think that that's really what, in that episode, blew me away that you were able to keep space for her to process and work through what she'd experienced without just coming unhinged, like I want to most of the time. Um <laughs> Because because it is, there's, I mean, like, but aside from the fact that my, I also have a minor in anthropology. And so studying cultures and learning about cultures does not mean inserting yourself in cultures and adjusting or influencing those cultures. Right. And uh, right. so there's a lot of uh, things that were very complicated that came up for me as I was listening. But I do want to just applaud you for the way that you are asking questions and making, helping people make sense of what they have been trying to make sense of for themselves you're offering them a chance to kind of mirror on their behalf what they've experienced and and validating yeah what you went through is was really hard and it makes sense that you're feeling some kind of way about it that's not a an easy task and uh, we tend as people who've experienced things like that to want to rush in and heal other people, like wounded healers, as the phrase goes. And I yeah. think that that's not what you're doing because I think wounded healers can be very um, wounding in themselves yeah. unintentionally. But I don't think that you've caught, I haven't heard that you've caused that. I've heard that you've created compassion for people to pick up for themselves.
1: Oh, again, thanks for saying that. I didn't, that's, <laughs> that's that kind of blows my mind because, yeah
0: we live in an era of unprecedented access to information news and media but what happens when all that information leads you to suddenly realize you spent the majority of your childhood in a cult well we can tell you
1: join me jessica goforth and kathleen reynolds as we take you into the world of cult recovery
0: after all the emotional psychological financial and sexual abuse we experienced as part of bill gothard's advanced training institute on our podcast called "Leaving the Village," we talk candidly about our journey out and interview other survivors whose experiences will boggle your mind. As scandals continue to rock the twisted world of IBLP, subscribe to "Leaving the Village" today so you don't
1: miss a single episode. I, as as an English professor, you know I'm, I'm very. I really believe in the power of story, right? And our stories have power to have power to heal as, as we process them and as, as we learn how to express them and and tell them, Yeah. because when we, when we tell our own story, it depends on the, on where we are with it, right? It's, it depends on how much we have processed it. So the way I tell a story today, I could tell the same story a year from now, and it may be different because I, I view it differently or or I have yeah. that time to to process it. So I really feel like the the stories that people tell in this podcast are like um a bookmark into this is where I am today. Um, yeah. I've already had people reach out to me <laughs> who's like, "Well, I I don't know if I told that story right or if, I don't know <laughs> if um mm-hmm. if I still feel this th- that way and yeah. Um, and I think that's okay because and I tell them it's like but that's where you were at that moment. Yes. Um and so I'll probably have to s- start saying in the in the podcast that you know these aren't these aren't the be all and end all of our of our experiences with the way we tell them now. The, the, we're all in process as we figure out um who we are and and what these stories mean to us. Yeah, um, well, does and I that think make sense? that
0: that's, it does, because to me, that's the process of becoming this idea that we arrive and are finished is so naive, because it neglects the trajectory of human development, it ignores the fact, it's the same thing I encounter in grief, and with grievers all the time, they're looking to be healed. And in the church world, people tell me all the time, if you have sight of a thing, you can, you can be healed. And I, my response is, no, you cannot. If I'm a surgeon and I see that someone has a bullet lodged, that doesn't magically heal them. I have to learn yeah. and gain some insight about what to do and then yeah. take action to create an opportunity for healing. That doesn't mean, action doesn't even guarantee healing will come from something. It means I have access to healing. And the more that we gain that insight, the more opportunity we have to go on. And so I think that, um, yeah, just, as a destination, of course, your stories are chapters along the way. It's such an easy metaphor, but it's, it's real and it makes perfect sense. I even, every time I write a blog or an episode on my own show, or even the book itself, I feel like I need an addendum as well. Like this is then some of the things in my book. I even today would say, I'm not sure that that's entirely helpful, but it, but it sounds like it's been helpful for enough people that I'm not going to say, here's here's round two. Here's the second edition yeah. with better information. Yeah.
1: Yeah, take no, it all back. more
0: refined information. Yeah. <laughs> Everything was- <laughs> Yeah, forget well, no, that, that. It was yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the time, it was. It was meaningful. It helped. Right. It was true. And there are some things in that that no longer serve. Just like- We have permission as humans to change and evolve the same thing is true with grievers and anybody in any context what is helpful today may be meaningless tomorrow and then it goes back again so becoming aware of ourselves and really settling in in that season of life to the present like i said earlier not going back and trying to excavate everything from the past to get clarity but really saying well who am i right now what are my core values and what do i want And letting that be the guide that says, oh, this core value is connected to this trauma from my childhood. Let's evaluate if that core value actually serves us going forward or if it's okay to let that one go. Because I have a lot of core values I held on to as a young Christian who didn't understand a lot of what they really wanted in the world that I have now said, okay, that was a response to someone else's demands on my life. That core value was a reaction to self protection what Mm -hmm. now what do I get to explore now that I've moved through that and I'm looking towards a new path on my development
1: yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the coffee's just hitting because I feel like my mind just went
0: like boom (laughs) good I can be your morning coffee Scott just Mm -hmm. listen to me talk for an hour on an empty stomach and caffeine and your yeah. minds, both of our minds will be like, what just happened? Not yeah. sure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but I think I like it. I think it's good. Um, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you want to talk about some of the things you're working on and some of the things um, that you're doing these days?
0: Sure. Yeah. So let's see. Ah, uh, my first book it's a little it's like about a year and a half old now, and I am working on book number two with a friend of mine. We're um, crafting a a proposal for a book at the intersection of grief through the lens of the Enneagram. So mm. the Enneagram framework being this wonderfully complex, very complicated, but uh, accessible, like personality test for lack of a better, way to put it, but really it's a growth hierarchy because it has nothing to do with your behavior and everything to do with the motivation and the core values within you that you've had since you were little. And so it's this amazing tool that I use in my practice often to move people from A place of where they feel very average to low integration in their lives to um, some empowerment and compassion for self so they can actually pursue what healing looks like for them. So we're working on a book right now, which is great. Um, I just declared Season 2 of my own podcast, Restorative Grief, yep. with Mandy Capehart, because it's weekly. And I was like, at what point do I say this is Season 2? Do I just have Season 1 that yeah. goes on forever? Or I was yeah. like, 52 episodes, that's a year. Click, we're at Season okay. 2 now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which has been um really wonderful. And I just launched a Patreon for it as well. So there's now some behind a paywall interviews as well with a lot of people, friends of ours from Portland, um, among some other people. And let's see, what else am I doing? So much coaching. I mean, my active coaching practice is great. Yeah. I'll put links to all these too. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's it because there's everything else that I do is just, it all feeds back into those main things, really.
1: Yeah. Great. Um, I gave, I gave my parents your book. Um, so I don't have it anymore <laughs> currently, but yeah, I was going to hold, I was going to have a, hold it up and have a picture of it. But, um, but yeah, I know you, you are, you also do speaking to groups cause we've been talking about trying yeah. to get you to, to talk to my parents, yeah. um, horrible Sunday school class. Um, <laughs> well, actually it's better now. They, they, they split from all the really bad people, but, <laughs> oh, um, man. but yeah, like my parents, um, are at that age where a lot of people are um, passing away, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are losing spouses, and mm-hmm. and man, they're not. The evangelicals are not equipped to <laughs> to help people through that very well. No. Um, so, um, yeah, the I, the idea of helping through people through grief of all all different kinds seems so important these days because we we seem to be living in in more dire times. It seems like every week things things are getting harder. I don't know. Have you noticed that? Does it seem like things are getting
0: bad? Yeah. Yeah. I think the compounding of grief is so much more um visceral right now, but I think it's more visible as well. Because the age of the internet of course makes everything more accessible and visible. But I do think that there are a lot of people being really honest about what they're experiencing. Um in ways that they haven't necessarily felt safe to do before. I don't necessarily think everyone is, I guess that's a broad statement. Is everyone on the internet doing grief? Well, I'll say yes, because I believe that that's true. I believe to the extent that they have skills and knowledge and support around them, they're doing, I'm one of those people that believes people are doing the best they can with what they have. And when you have deep cognitive dissonance, you're still doing the best you can with what you have. Maybe your community isn't a safe place for you to rip yeah. that apart and actually decide to make an entirely new life choice because something you've been holding on to is harming others or harming you. Um, but it's definitely been exponential. And the way we have traditionally dealt with grief as a Western culture, especially in evangelicalism, is blame and Mm -hmm. accusation you know there's a you know the devil took them from us or or satan is working against us and we have to pray and fast or the lord needed another angel and it was just their time and the days of our our, you know our days are numbered no one knows the day of his coming but he he knows that um he counted every day you know it's very fatalistic um there was nothing i could do because spiritual forces are against me or T- this morning I saw someone accusing women of being the fall of society. And I was like, that says more about you than it does anything <laughs> about me. But also it says something about me too. Cause uh, I'm terrifying to you. Good for me, you know, but yeah, I just, <laughs> yeah. A sh- short answer. Yes. Grief yeah. is definitely manifesting because it's not something we can avoid anymore. Um, Structurally, our culture has always been really well set up for us to avoid it. We're very busy. We're very focused yeah. on productivity in the West, and uh, we're focused on you know core spiritual development in unto an afterlife that very much disregards life here on Earth. Uh, whereas I think a number of people are recognizing, wow, that's such garbage because I don't want to get there wherever there is and feel like my life was a waste or not even a waste, but just like full of anxiety because I'm trying to do the right thing as if black and white is a meaningful and um, attainable state of cognition, which it's, it's so not, I mean, it's a, cognitive distortion that we work actively to dismantle when we experience it. And so I think what's happening is enough people have said black and white thinking is not safe. It's not reasonable. It's not logical. uh, And it's time to be done with it. And so what's happening is people who are saying, okay, I agree, are then recognizing, holy shit, I have cognitive distortion and black and white thinking everywhere in my life. Now what? And that in and of itself spirals us into all kinds of grief and loss.
1: Yeah, so when I said it felt like things were getting worse, maybe they're getting better because people are just more aware of things. Uh, there's more connection. I think so. You know, the internet so can be so horrible, but it also <laughs> can be informative. And in that I'm not alone yeah. in going... Because, yeah, maybe the <clears throat> it's just the human condition. We're, we're all... There's grief everywhere. There's There's anxiety. Yeah. Previous generations, we just... We didn't have the internet, so we just just tucked it down into us and just yeah. powered on. And so maybe people dealing with it now is, is good. Oh man. When you mentioned the, uh, God needed another angel. To-
0: <laughs> Your skin crawled.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Well, I, at, back at APU, I had a colleague whose wife was going into brain surgery and it was like Ooh. one of those 50, 50, she could make it or she might, you know, she might not. And yeah. this woman who's like, like a missionary and was teaching some classes, walked by and tried to console him with that shit. Like, <laughs> and it didn't yeah. help. No surprise. It was just like, I can't believe she thought that was helpful to say, right. you know, maybe God needs her more. Th- I think she said, something like, I think maybe God needs her more than you do. And it's like, man, right. where, where's like any sense of empathy for right. this person who who's perhaps would lose his spouse the following morning you know it's like
0: right yeah it's it's an incredible disconnection when we try to say things like that because those are those moments of i'm speaking the truth in love this is what scripture yeah. says right but there's yeah. and no and then you're
1: wrong to be grieving then because it's it's going against it god's will or god's plan or something
0: Yep exactly the following the logical part of that and that's where it becomes such an interesting um violent communication in that moment and we yeah. have language to explain that now but 30 years ago we didn't have that we were busy trying to figure out well what would jesus do in this situation well he mm-hmm. sure wouldn't have said maybe buck up buttercup he wouldn't yeah. have said those things so yeah i don't know oh, why he we- yeah right and his friend died
1: you know like th- that he to me is everything
0: made the moment available to himself to experience the full range of human emotion. And you know, you've read my book, so like that's the thing, the one part of my faith that remained intact as I was grieving was recognizing like, well, what if I just pay attention to Jesus? What if I sit with the words of Jesus? What if I meditate on the actions and the behaviors and the attitudes of Jesus regardless of everything else in scripture. Yeah. Old regardless or new test Testament- followers. <laughs> Yeah, regardless of his followers, because I was just as fucked up as they were left and right. And I kept finding myself actually experiencing calm and genuinely experiencing a a sense of comprehension that didn't have any answers. It wasn't like I suddenly had clarity or mm-hmm. things made sense or felt resolved. I just felt like, oh, right, I remember as a child Thriving in the mystery of the unknown of God and whatever remains when we all are done with this earth. I'm going to return to that because adults are trying really hard to convince me that there are set answers. And I know that they're all fools. (laughs) I don't want to be, I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to force myself into a box that is just going to need to be dismantled or, you know, melt around me the second it rains, which is kind of what it felt like it did.
1: Oof! Yeah, indeed. Well, I think we solved solved all the world's problems today. I, I feel
0: confident that yeah. people are going to be fine now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> From this point on, if they hear Da-da-da. this, that's it. That's that's everything. So, anyway, thank you so much for joining me in in talking yeah. about this. Thanks for listening to those episodes. It's it just, I'm always amazed. I don't know if you have this experience. If someone tells you they listen to something. You know that's like a half an hour or an hour or an hour and a half of your yep. of their day that they spent listening to. You. It's just like, oh, yep,
0: like, it feels like a hug every single time. I keep telling the people who sign up as like subscribers to my premium episodes or patrons or whatever, or they'll someone will reach out to me on Twitter and say, "Hey, this thing that you said really struck me. I like it's a holy moment for me." Yeah, I, yeah. I it. I believe everything I don't I don't believe that there's a separation between the sacred and the and the what's the word secular I I don't even know the word because I don't use it and so <laughs> in my framework that's a moment of like connection it's a moment of coming towards someone and so yeah I agree with you it's a complete it's such a gift so yeah of course I would come toward you and listen to your work
1: <laughs> yeah and I you so um <laughs> Every, all your info will be in the show notes. and Sweet. Yeah, thanks again for hanging out with me. Yeah, you're welcome. We all experience grief. And if you were part of an evangelical culture, there's a good chance you didn't experience it in a healthy way. I think people like Mandy are so valuable to those of us making our way through life Post faith, so definitely check out Restorative Grief, uh, the podcast, and there's a Facebook group and so much more from Mandy, and you can buy her book through a link I'll put in the show notes. So thanks again to Mandy for coming to hang out. Um, It was a nice early morning, and uh, yeah, I I just really appreciate what she she does and, and the approach that she takes to help people through. Um, tough situations that life inevitably brings our way. So we'll be back. Um, I think we're around Thanksgiving uh, right now if I if I if my memory serves so um, the schedule of postings might change a little bit but I do want to have things up so in case you're on a road trip on the way to see family or Uncle Ron to, to quote uh, Brad Onishi's straight white American Jesus family, Um, You have something to listen to (laughs) that is kind of depressing that will like prep you for uh, hanging out with your family at the holidays. So, yeah, we'll be back again um, with a few more episodes of this After Hours series and with a few more episodes of the Chapel Probation regular episodes. However we meet again, we'll see you next time.